Certainly a blessing and a good thing that we've been given by God to assemble today and to gather. And haven't we already sung some very prompting and convincing songs? Oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer. We also sang, Oh, Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Among the songs then that we've sung, the messages have already reminded us of the greatness of our Savior and oh, how wonderful it is to strive to be like Him. In many ways, that will at least touch a portion of our study this morning. I would invite you to ponder with me the next few moments about enjoying heaven. To do that, probably we will take a bit of a direction through this lesson that might not be expected. Let me show you what I mean. Isn't it true that when you and I take a trip or perhaps visit a distant place, we make preparation by packing or taking those things that will ensure that we can at least enjoy that which takes place there. For vacation, we take clothing or perhaps we take food. Or if our visit is to a specific place, maybe we take sunglasses and all the other things needed to ensure that we can enjoy that destination. What about heaven? No, everyone here, all of us are striving to make that location, that destination. What should we be doing here to make sure we'll enjoy it there? What had you and I better be doing here so that our enjoyment there will be maximum, that it'll be extreme and that it will be that which will make our place as pleasant, as wonderful as it could possibly be? For the next few moments, why don't we then direct some attention to enjoying heaven with the idea, what should we do here to ensure we can enjoy it there? You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, some of those questions may perhaps lead us directly into the text. I hope that you'll keep your finger open to the book of Revelation. That's where we'll be devoting much of our time for our lesson this morning. One of the first things I would wish to say to you is to note the verse just after the one that John read just a moment ago. When you and I think about enjoying heaven, probably one of the things that rests almost first upon our mind is to consider what is not going to be there. Won't that make it enjoyable? Well, to highlight that, look at this brief listing from Revelation 21. Verse number 4 reads like this. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Let me suggest to you then that one of the things that no doubt will make heaven very enjoyable is to consider what will not be there. Things that will be absolutely absent. Case in point, no tears. Sometimes we sing a song about no tears in heaven. Well, you'll notice this is the verse from which that sentiment is taken. Verse number 4 again says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Would you notice then, there will be no occasion to bring the tears of sorrow, the tears of disappointment or sadness, those tears of troublesome character. None will flow in heaven. Not only that, notice what else is not going to be there. No death. Wouldn't it be fair to say that you and I in our existence are accustomed to the reality of death? We have grown up with it and we understand that both in the animal kingdom and in the human kingdom, death is the order of the day. It has been so 
since Genesis chapter 3. In fact, God made promise to Adam and to Eve. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And sure enough, they died spiritually the day they partook of that forbidden fruit. And yet, two chapters later in Genesis 5, the death of Adam is recorded physically. Because they were expelled from the garden and no longer had access to the tree of life, they died physically. And that has been the assignment, the appointment for the human family ever since. Not only do then we know that death is reality and as sad as it can often be to us, when we visit the funeral home and we visit the cemetery and we in fact place into the bosom of earth those that we love, those that have meant so much to us, the fact remains in heaven there will be no death. There will be no death. Those who are blessed to enter therein, those who enter that joyous climb will be such that no longer will there be appreciation of what is recognized as death. That appointment spoken of in Hebrews 9 verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, that describes the realm here upon earth. It does not describe the realm there. Isn't it true that notice this? The inspired writer also says there's no sorrow. Verse number 4 again highlights, neither sorrow. Have there been occasions when your heart has ached over the sorrows due to some occurrence or some reality in life? It's almost certain that if you and I are of any age, that has been the case and likely will be the case many times more. And yet in heaven there shall be none of that. No sorrow. In addition to that, you'll notice the text now says no crying. Could I point out that we've already mentioned tears, and yet sometimes you'll notice that there are occasions when crying, there's wailing and weeping over extreme considerations of great moment. May I say there will be none of that in heaven either. No tears, no crying. Aren't you already getting a bit re-excited about this place? In addition to that, notice what follows it. Neither shall there be any more pain. I know in the sound of my voice there are many who have known much about pain. Sometimes things related to surgeries, sometimes things related to events in our life, accidents if you please, often bring upon us extreme pain that may last for quite some time. There will be no pain in heaven. As you and I come near the close of that slide, I would ask you to notice I've added some more drawn from the same chapter. Maybe we'd be quick to pass by these. May I draw your attention to verse 22 of Revelation 21? It says, And I saw no temple there. Listen to me now. Maybe that sounds troubling. Why would there be no temple in heaven? After all, in the Old Testament, the temple was a central place the Jewish people, after Solomon built it, they came to that location for worship. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the most holy place was. It was the place where God had written His name. 1 Kings 9 verse 3. But isn't it interesting, when you and I contemplate the glories of heaven, there's no temple there. Would you please appreciate this? One other attribute of that Old Testament temple was the separation which it mandated. 
the segregation, if you please, which it enforced. Again, there was a most holy place and only the high priest could go there. Not even the ordinary priest could ever go. Outside that was, again, the holy place. Now there, the high priest and the priest could go, but nobody else. None of the other citizens in Israel could go there. Not even the other men. Outside that was a series of courts. There was a courtyard in which the typical male Jew could go, but no women could. Outside that was the court of the women. Now there, the women could come. The point is, there was discrimination or at least observation of segregation. There will be none of that in heaven. We know today what a tremendous difficulty our nation is battling with racism and various things like that. Did you notice there will be no separation like that in heaven? Because there's no temple. Rather, it goes on rather quickly to say... For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The God of heaven, the Son, if you please, they shall occupy the role, position, and set forth regarding the temple. Let's read on. Verse number 27, what else won't be there? And there shall in no wise enter into it, that's heaven, anything that defileth. May we take note, no iniquity, no sin, no errors of any form like that. There will be none of it. This reason alone is certainly a very good reason to contemplate enjoyment in heaven. Look at all what won't be there. But you'll notice that wasn't the title of the lesson today. I would suggest that once you and I arrive at heaven, sure enough, because all of that's not there, that's a wonderful thought. What do I need to do now? to enhance my enjoyment of that place then? What we've read today doesn't answer that question. The fact there's no tears, no death, no pain, no sorrow, no crying, no sin, the fact that there's no temple, that doesn't tell us what we need to do now. And hence the latter part of the lesson. Well, may I invite you to notice verse number 3 was the key for our study this morning. Let me read it again. Revelation 21, verse number 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. If you and I want to enjoy heaven, we ought to focus attention first and foremost on what not is going to be there, but rather what is going to be there. What's going to be there? Next slide. May I suggest, if we hope to enjoy heaven, and we're excited to enhance our enjoyment of it, we had better learn to appreciate God the Father because He's there. Let's develop that point like this. Hold your finger, if you would, in Revelation 21, and let's go back to Revelation chapter 4. Earlier in the book of Revelation we encounter the following stirring scene. I'll begin reading in verse 1 of that chapter. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of the trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne, notice it with me, was set in heaven. 
John was given a glorious vision, a scene. And what did he see in heaven? Verse 3, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. If you and I ever expect to enjoy heaven, we'd better learn to appreciate the Father because He's there. That development perhaps is going to take us along this line. We better know God, the Father. And so our question, we're going to ask each of us, ourselves, do I know God? Does the thought of knowing Him excite you and me? In 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and following, this is highlighted in a rather scary way. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on who? Those that know not God. If you don't know God, you'll never go to heaven. If you and I don't know Him, we're going to be lost at the day of judgment. And so one thing you and I must do, it's a vital and essential matter now. If we expect to enjoy heaven, we need to learn to love and to know the Father, to learn to appreciate His nature. Some of these next thoughts, we're going to try to develop that. Didn't Jesus say it like this in Mark 12, verse 30? When He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Without any delay, He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and with all thy heart. Even Jesus thus worded it that that was the major, the primary, the central commandment, and all the others will in one way or another relate in conviction to that one. You and I then need to place it as priority one to know God the Father. May I say that how do you come to know anybody? You converse with them. You involve yourself with them. Well, you and I have appreciated our physical families that way. Of course, the Bible reveals to us that God has spoken to you and me, and that has happened by way of the Word of God. That's how He communicates to us. He does not communicate in dreams and visions anymore, though He once did. He doesn't communicate by special people called prophets, though He once did. He doesn't communicate by way of fathers of families, by direct word of mouth to them like He did to Noah and Adam, though again He once did. He communicates to us today through His Word. But how do we communicate with Him? If you and I want to know God... How are we praying? Do we find it interesting to pray? Do we enjoy praying? Do we engage in it very often? Paul wrote it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing, he said. That injunction, that serious one, was a reminder to you and I that we should be earnest and frequent as we pray to our Heavenly Father. Again, that's how we lay upon Him the petitions of our heart. And not only that, as we pray for wisdom, we seek to know Him better and to bring our life into be more that which would be pleasing to Him. To know God the Father. You might notice one final thing. 
It's at this point that we should be reminded, as I mentioned that Word of God, the understanding about 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This particular passage is one that offers a degree of challenge in one respect. But nonetheless, it's a very valuable and meaningful thing. Consider it like this. You and I do not know what is on someone else's mind unless they tell us. God hasn't given to us the blessing of reading people's hearts. Jesus had that ability, but we don't. Similarly, we know that God is far greater than we. He is infinite, He is awesome, and we are not. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is what we read that helps us appreciate this point. Verse number 10 reads like this, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. You and I cannot know God except for the Spirit's revelation of Him to us. When the Spirit tells us the mind of God, revealing to us the character and nature of Him, then as we develop and appreciate those points, we can come to know Him. May I again then say, as we contemplate briefly an application concerning prayer, we've used 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number, or verse, chapter 5, verse 17, but don't we read in Ephesians as well as Colossians those injunctions where Paul pleaded with brethren to pray for him and to pray, of course, in light of to the Father? Let's step beyond this, though. There's more in heaven than just God the Father. And if we expect to enjoy that place, there's some more things that we must note. Back to Revelation chapter 4. I stopped reading, you may notice, in verse number 3, but let's read onward. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they, ha- and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Let's stop again. You'll notice that coming out of that throne on which the Father sat, verse number 5 says there were seven spirits. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Did you notice? Here's another guaranteed entity existed in heaven. The Holy Spirit is there, God the Spirit. May I again suggest that if we hope to enjoy heaven as much as we might, We need to learn to know God the Spirit. We need to appreciate His nature and understand the grandeur and might of that which He does. God the Spirit. On this slide, let's step through some of these points. There's a remarkable promise given to all who are Christians. On the day that you and I were baptized into Christ... Romans chapter 8 dictates the fact of what a great blessing it was that we began at that point to walk in the Spirit. How is that? We walk in the Spirit. Now notice that's a capital S. It is that we are following the movement, the dictates of the Holy Spirit as set forth by the Word He's given. 
I know that we in Churches of Christ have a rather notable history of downplaying the Holy Spirit. We talk much about God the Father, and we talk often about God the Son. For fear of being seen as Pentecostal, and for fear of being viewed as charismatic, we don't talk near as much about the Spirit. Perhaps that's a fault on our part. The Bible talks just as much about the Spirit and reveals much about Him. And you and I should strive to appreciate Him correctly using the Word of God and come to know Him rightly here so that we can appreciate heaven as maximally as we might. To speak about the Spirit in that way, let's notice this. In 2 Peter 1 verses 20 and 21, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That Holy Ghost is again a reference to the Holy Spirit, and notice what He's done. First of all, please appreciate the Holy Spirit is a He. It is not a force. He is not merely some ethereal feeling. It's a He. Jesus referred to him that way in John 16. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he'll guide you into all truth, speaking to those apostles. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. Did you notice what that person does? He reveals to us the character of the Godhead. And he reveals the nature and work of the members of that Godhead. And the Word of God is what he's provided the Holy Scriptures. Oh, how thankful we ought to be for the work of the Spirit in that regard. But even to that, we might note this. What a great exhortation is given to us in relation to the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. May I direct your attention in that chapter to verses 16 and 25? Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16. There the inspired writer had these words to say, This I say then, walk in the Spirit... And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then later, in verse number 25 of that same chapter, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Isn't it true then we're admonished as Christians to live each day walking by the dictates, by those things which the Spirit teaches? We need to know the Spirit because He's going to be in heaven. And if we hope to be there, then surely we need to not only appreciate God the Father, but also God the Spirit. With that in mind, let's close that slide. And notice then that how do you and I look upon that which the Spirit has provided? Does the Word of God excite you and me? Do you look forward to times for consideration of it? The Bible study periods here, the other times of service in which it's lifted high, you and I as Christians should revere the Word of God, respecting it highly because that's what's going to be used as our judge on the day of judgment. Jesus said it like this in John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. When you and I appear before Jesus the Christ on that day of judgment, one of the books that He's going to open is this one. And as he compares your life and mine to the statements of that book, he's going to render a verdict. Are we living in compliance with it or not? Have we striven to?
to know that book which the Spirit provided. No wonder with that said, let's journey onward in our lesson today. In addition to enjoying heaven, requiring us to know God the Father and God the Spirit, I'm sure we likely would have expected it. What about this one? Let's revisit Revelation chapters 4 and 5. And let's note some more entities also in heaven. I chose verse number 6 of chapter 5 this time. You'll notice that that God the Father that was sitting on the throne, there was a book in His right hand and it was sealed seven times. At first, there was no one in heaven or earth worthy to take the book, loose the seals, and reveal the contents. However, verse number 6 quickly says this, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven, eye, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Notice right there in the midst of that throne, John saw a lamb. But that lamb was the lion of the tribe of Judah. We aren't left to wonder who the lamb was. Isn't it true that John the baptizer in John 1.29 had said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And he was speaking of Jesus. The Lamb of God. Later on in this same chapter, notice Revelation 5 verse number 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That lamb that was the lion of the tribe of Judah was none other than God the Son. If you and I expect to enjoy heaven, we need to make preparation by learning about the Son, to appreciate Him, to develop what it was that He requires of us. To develop that point, let's begin like this. I would suggest the words of Jesus in John 14, beginning in verse 1, speak much to this concept. Let's at least reflect upon it quickly. Jesus, on the night prior to His crucifixion, said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare, to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, watch it now, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Myself, Jesus is going to be there. If you and I hope to enjoy heaven, we need to learn to appreciate the Son. Not only the Father, not only the Spirit, but to appreciate the Son. Let's do that by highlighting some following things. In the New Testament, so often filled with reflections for you and me about that which Christ has accomplished for us. Romans 5 verse 8 so beautifully says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The very one before whom we'll stand at judgment, and the very one parading around heaven, among other things, will be the very one with nail scars in His hands. And we'll be able to praise Him forevermore for what He did. Paying the price for your sins and mine. Isn't it true we're going to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb? Revelation 15.3 Surely as you and I add to that, we can note 1 Peter 3.18 Wherein there the just suffered for the unjust. The Lord was perfect and guileless, and yet... He suffered 
because of you and me and our sin and our guile. As Jesus, in fact, took those things, oh, how we need to know the Son. May I call to your attention and mine today several passages of Scripture which highlight a very, very powerful truth. As you and I live here, you may notice that Brother Dennis led us in prayer earlier, and as a part of that, he prayed that we might come to be more like Jesus. And we even sang a song about it. Look at some of these verses with me. In Colossians 1, verse 27, Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Each day, those Colossian brethren were then striving to be more Christ-like, to learn to think like Him, to talk like Him, to act like Him. I can ask that of myself, and you can ask it of you. How are you doing with that, and how about me? Are you being Christ-like? What about myself? In the words you choose to say in the workplace or in other places, can others dictate and sense that person is like Jesus? Or in the places you and I choose to visit and to go, and although no one else knows it, what about the thoughts we allow to cross our mind? Are you being Christ-like? May I suggest we will have far more enjoyment of heaven if we learn to be Christ-like here. Let's look at another verse, not only that text in Colossians chapter 1. What about Philippians 2 verse number 5? This passage is so monumental in the following sense. Let the mind of Christ be in you. The mind of Christ. When you and I study the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we notice the way Jesus interacted with others, the concern, the compassion, compassion, and yet the truth that guided His way. We're admonished, of course, to have that mindset in us. That insatiable yearning for the truth of God. Let's add to that one more passage. Galatians 4.19 When Paul wrote to those Galatian brethren, he highlighted in them the aspect and the reality that There was a great travail until Christ was formed in them. That is to say, as the Galatians matured and they grew in Christ, Jesus was being formed in principle in them. That's no different than you and me today. I hope we can say that as this year 2019 has begun, we're desirous of growing in Christ so that Christ will be formed in us in a greater degree and we'll be more like Christ-like as the year goes on. Knowing the Father, knowing the Spirit, knowing the Son, that'll enhance our enjoyment of heaven. But may I say we'd be remiss not to make at least one more mention. For there is something else to be noted that's in heaven. Certainly one could add angels, and one could add other elements of the heavenly host. But in the brief time we have remaining, let me call to your attention Revelation 7. Beginning in verse number 12, the following words are found. Saying, Amen, blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. 
And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The redeemed of all the ages is going to be there. May I suggest then one more thing. If you and I are hopeful to enjoy heaven, we've got to enjoy the brethren here because they're going to be in heaven. The faithful are going to be there. And doesn't that beg a question, if we don't enjoy the brethren here, do we honestly expect that we'll even have the opportunity to enjoy them there? A few brief verses might call some thoughts to your attention. The book of Philippians in chapter 4 verse 2 highlights a oneness, a singleness of mind that Paul admonished in the church at Philippi. But in addition to that, it's certainly fair to say... Paul admonished the Roman congregation that there was to be a brotherly love that developed and that was very powerful among them. In honor, they were to prefer one another. As they distributed the hospitality of saints, as they appreciated that which was fellowship in Christ. To that, you and I might note these. How often the Bible encourages, in fact, demands that we appreciate and participate in those features concerning fellowship in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 11 and following, highlight the fact that as we know one another, we are there to help bear one another's burdens. We're there to encourage and exhort one another. We're even there, of course, to warn and admonish. Those sentiments lead us to note this. Then if we again are not those which appreciate the brethren, it's not very likely that even if we make it to heaven, we'd enjoy it very much. This lesson has been today about enjoying heaven. What things we might do here to enhance our enjoyment of that grand place there. As we close that slide, all that remains is our moment of conclusion. To know God the Father, to know God the Spirit, to know God the Son, to know the redeemed and appreciate them. If we shall accomplish those things here, it will greatly enhance our enjoyment of that place there. If there's anyone in the audience today and your life is not such that you currently are in position to enjoy heaven, you're not saved. Don't you realize what a tragic situation that is? If you pass from this life in that state, there is no second chance. There is no alternate opportunity. We're taught in Hebrews 9.27, after that death, the next thing is the judgment. Oh, if you're not right with God today, take care of it, would you? If you are an alien sinner, believe in Jesus with all your heart. Repent of your sins, confess His glorious name and be baptized. If you have become a child of God, you've known membership in the church, and you appreciated at one time the enjoyment of heaven, you were looking forward to it with such fervor. But at this point, that really cannot be said. Because you've allowed things to inch into your life. Maybe you have lost sight of knowing the Father, the Spirit, or the Son. Maybe the whole thought of the church has become rather distasteful to you. If that's so, my friend, you need to make a change. That's called repentance. And when you do, and you but through great prayer and earnestness of application of the Word, you can come back to a position of faithfulness, 
and you again will thrill at the thought of enjoying heaven. If we could be of help to you today, we'd like to do it and do it at once. While together we stand and while we sing.